Okay, so uh, wisdom, first step, the fear of the Lord, its benefits. Uh, Part four on the fear of the Lord. This is the final section on the fear of the Lord. So letter A, the good of the fear of the Lord. Number one, serves as the beginning of wisdom. So in Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, The word for beginning here is reshith, uh, the first in place or time, order or rank, a first fruit, beginning chief, first fruits uh, principal thing. How it was used? Well, in Genesis 1-1, the absolute beginning, uh, it's used temporarily, call, uh, basically uh, translated the first thing. It's used quantitatively, the chief thing or the choice part, and philosophically, the principal thing. So how should we understand the word beginning in Proverbs 1-7? Well, Proverbs 9-10. This is a uh, parallel verse you'll see there under number two, parallel verse using a, syn- a synonym that gives the meaning of first in time. Proverbs 9, sa- 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So notice uh, it is the, the word uh, tequila, or not tequila, come on guys, <laughs> tequila maybe, <laughs> uh, in the sense of opening a commencement, beginning, or first, first in time. So uh, when we say the uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that's when you start learning wisdom, start becoming wise, if you will. Number two, what is biblical wisdom? There are 325 mentions in various forms in the Old Testament. Wisdom is basically like a microscope. Wisdom magnifies and focuses life using the optics of Scripture in order of one to believe and behave so as to glorify and please God. Now, let's walk through that little by little. Wisdom is like a microscope. It magnifies and focuses life using the optics of Scripture. This is one of the reasons why, as a Bible church, of course, we strongly encourage uh, people to be reading their Bibles. Um, Four chapters a day get you through the whole Bible in a year. It actually gets you through the whole Bible in a little bit less than a year, but we it's, you know, a few days maybe. (laughs) Um, And, of course, the Scripture tells us that in His Word is life. And, of course, Christ is called the Word. Uh, we have a great attachment to the Word of God. So looking at life through the optics of Scripture in order for one to believe it and behave so as to glorify and please God. Uh, one of the benefits of uh, taking a little bit of a road trip to uh, Lee Summit area is you get to search for radio channels all over the place because nothing stays on very long. <laughs> but uh, we, we got to listen to a variety of preachers and um, constant reminder of how so often we like coming and hearing the message and we'll even say, oh, pastor, that was a good message. 
until he says, and what part stood out to you? You go, uh, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's not that you didn't enjoy the message, but sometimes we enjoy the message while we're hearing it and not listening to, okay, what is the Spirit of God trying to teach me here? And um, so uh, visiting uh, Hannah, Hannah happens to be reading the book that we're studying in our Sunday school class by E.W. Tozer with the trilogy uh, book there. So she is in the first book, which is the, uh, the Pursuit of God. And she goes, wow, you got to kind of read it over a couple of times because Tozer, of course, doesn't talk in 2023 language. He talks in 1940s, 1950s uh, language. And he talks about the church a lot in his books, dealing with a church that is getting caught up in entertainment instead of worship. He even talks about worshiping worship instead of God. So it's that feeling you get when you sing the right kind of music, that kind of stuff. And when you think he's writing this back in the 40s, this is the first book he's written, so it's got to be back in the 40s, uh, maybe mid to late, I don't know. But uh, it's kind of like, wow, what would he think today when people determine what church they're going to go to by the programs they have or the music that they have instead of are they teaching the Word? So uh, the purpose of the, te- the teaching of the Word is so that people would believe it and act upon it, behave according to it. Let us see what biblical wisdom involves. First of all, knowing the facts of divine revelation. Do you realize that if it was not for God revealing Himself to us through the Word of God, we would have what we call general revelation? We would have the heavens. Are they beautiful? Sure enough. We would have creation. Is it beautiful? Sure enough. Couldn't we learn things uh, as we study those things? Sure enough. Can you get to heaven? Nope. Can you enter in a relationship with God? Not the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you, because there's all kinds of people that worship nature and, and that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is we must have God's revealed word so that we understand who he is, what he's like, what his expectations of us are, how we can actually accomplish that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to know facts of divine revelation. If you think with me for a minute in Romans chapter 6, in verse 3, it says, knowing. In verse 6, it says, knowing. In verse 9, it says, knowing. I, I think verse 3, it says, do you not know? Uh, whole point being is Paul is developing an argument so that you might walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And the first thing he points out is you got to know these things to be true about you. Then you have to believe, verse 11, or if you will, reckon. Uh, number two, understanding the intentions of God that leads to a life of redemption and practical sanctifications. Uh, think with me for a minute. Uh, what, why were we saved? To glorify God. Okay. Uh, notice the first answer is not to go to heaven. Uh, unfortunately, over the years, that's what we've made the gospel all about, people getting saved so they can go to heaven. And of course, once you think you're saved and you're going to heaven, what does it matter how you live? 
where when we come to Scripture, you were saved to live unto God. You were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave of righteousness. And that he died for all, that they who live might not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So understanding the intentions of God that leads to a life of redemption and practical sanctification. Number three, wisdom then engages the intellect and will to translate this knowledge and understanding into a pattern of godly experience as a habit of one's life. And uh, that basically helps us understand, look, you're going to be growing in your understanding of who Christ is, how he wants you to live, but ultimately you're going to be living that way, or one might question. Letter D, Old Testament illustrations of wisdom. Uh, Number one, uh, you might remember when they were making the... uh, tabernacle. The Spirit of God came upon uh, workmen who were going to be making the, the sewing the curtains, uh, uh, the tapestries, and all that kind of stuff, the building of each one of the uh, items that were going to be outside of the tabernacle as well as inside of the tabernacle, workers of gold, workers with wood, all of those things. The Spirit of God came upon them so that they would make it exactly the way they were supposed to make it, not just a, well, you know, my dovetail joints on the corners weren't that closely together, but I, I just stuffed uh, another piece of wood in there and it, it worked. No, 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 no. They were making these things exactly the way they wanted them made. So, uh, number one here, artisans skillfully making something beautiful from raw materials. Exodus 35.10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all, of the, uh, all that the Lord has commanded. Now, the reality is, is this kind of wisdom could be, not an exodus, because God said he's going to put his spirit upon those people, but it could be something that is developed through years of, de- uh, of uh, honing your trade, if you will. Uh, you take uh, Dave uh, Wells as a mechanic. Uh, he's got a few years under his belt, no offense intended, Dave, uh, with the auto mechanics. And so when he uh, comes and he uh, analyzes and diagnoses things in that, uh, what's going wrong with that thing, uh, chances are he's got a pretty good idea. Not that he's always right, but chances are he's got a pretty good idea. Uh, I used to tackle any auto mechanic type problems that we ran into, uh, and we didn't have Google or YouTube back then. We might have had it, but I didn't know how to use it. (laughs) Still don't, I think. Uh, But uh, if there was a problem with the car, you start taking things apart and putting it back together and see if you can't get it fixed. Might find a friend to help me on something that I really didn't know anything about. Nowadays, it seems like every mechanical issue, hey, hey Dave, I got it apart. I, I, I need help. <laughs> I don't know what happened over the years, but that's how it seems to work. But see, he has years of experience, so uh, he might be a good example of that number one there. And number two, intellectual skill in observing and explaining how the natural world works. And again, I'm going to read Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, but this could be the kind of wisdom that Jacques Cousteau would have had. Okay? Uh, But uh, let me read uh, 
668 here. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So there's a looking at nature, seeing something, learning from it, uh, that kind of thing. Then, of course, number three. Applying knowledge skillfully in a common sense way, which allows one to live life with minimal obstacles, but could have no relationship with God. Now again, this is the the whole concept of common sense. There are people out there that have some. I know they're very, very rare, hard to find, but... uh, They've learned over the years that this might be the best way to handle these kinds of problems. One example would be, you look at uh, Jewish people throughout history. It seems as though, even though they are presently uh, you know, away from God, that they are using the principles that are in His Word, and they don't have a relationship with Him. They might have some kind of a worship uh, going on, but they might not. How, how many Jewish people are absolute liberals? And yet, because they're applying good common sense to uh, income and uh, investments and stuff like that, those things that are actually taught in the Word of God, they have made money. They have stayed away from some of the problems because they haven't done some of the things uh, that they shouldn't have done. Uh, again, A person can have this kind of wisdom and yet not have a relationship with God. And of course, that brings us to number four. It adds the unique dimension of the fear of the Lord. It is both utilitarian, but also spiritual and eternal. This wisdom can only be taught by God's Spirit to believers who seek it. Now, you notice that last part there? Just because a believer is a believer doesn't mean he's going to get this kind of wisdom. He actually has to be seeking it. We'll probably be talking about that a little bit next week. Psalm 49.3, My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. Psalm 51.6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Proverbs 1, 1-7, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15, 31-32. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Notice that the rebukes of life... Those are where you blew it and you get the consequences. If you learn from those consequences, you've been rebuked and you have learned, you have become wiser. Uh, Proverbs 22, 17 to 21. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. 
Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may know you know that I, excuse me, sorry about that, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may, under, that you may answer words of truth to those who uh, send to you. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. So again, those are all the concept of the spirit-endowed wisdom uh, that we get when we seek uh, wisdom that God is offering. Letter B, the fear of the Lord brings, number one, knowledge. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. Uh, the form is, uh, the Proverbs are written in various forms, and so as we go through the uh, what the fear of the Lord brings, we're going to see some of those forms. In this particular case, uh, the form is antithetical. That means you got two lines in the proverb. Line one would be A, line two would be B, and this one is A, but B. That's the idea of antithetical. The verse impresses that we must start our learning by learning where we stand before God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you're going to learn, you've got to understand where you stand before God. So, number one, if gripped by the fear of the Lord, we will be ready to learn and apply God's principles for life. We will accept both instruction and rebuke from God's Word. Hmm. If not gripped by the fear of the Lord, we will pick and choose according to our desires and prejudices, and we will continue to be our Lord's, and true knowledge will elude us. Proverbs 14.6, the scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. So even as a believer, if you're not seeking you might think you're doing just fine and be missing the whole boat. Uh, the other thing that uh, the fear of the Lord brings is wisdom. We've already looked at uh, chapter 9, verse 10. The form is synonymous. It says uh, B, line 2, rewords A, or line 1. So in line A, wisdom is equated to discernment in line B. And line, uh, in line A, the fear of the Lord is equated to the knowledge of the Holy One. Let me read 9.10 for you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Line B, the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One are equated. The beginning of wisdom and understanding are also equated. So that's the idea of uh, synonymous. So uh, the beginning again, we've already looked at that in uh, the first page there. Let her see the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One being related ideas are grounded in a relationship of submission and reverence. Uh, years ago, um, I don't know how many times people suggested that I read A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. And I've read a lot of books about the attributes of God and things like that. I uh, know a lot about Him. But... It is one of those things where the more you walk with him, the more a lot of those things kind of fit into the proper place where you get a better understanding of who he is, what he's like, that kind of a thing. 
Uh, so that's basically what 9.10 says. Uh, we get wisdom. We also get long life. In Proverbs 10.27, it says, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, this uh, form combines antithetical, where you have two opposite views, and consequence. That basically means B is what happens when you do A. So there are two things to remember that give understanding. The nature of Proverbs. These are basically general principles. Not all that is said, uh, not all is said that could be. So he's, he's throwing a general principle out there. He's not giving you all the details. And then, of course, the setting of Proverbs. The Proverbs was written under the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant promised health, prosperity for believing obedience. You get to stay in the land if you do the things I tell you. If not, well, we're going to bring famine, drought, enemies, and ultimately we're going to kick you out of the land. So uh, Proverbs is written under that covenant. Uh, so notice uh, Exodus fifteen twenty six. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which have been brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Deuteronomy seven twelve to 15 Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and, keep, uh, and do them, that the Lord your God will keep you uh, keep with you the covenant uh, and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land in which he swore to your fathers. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you. Uh, or among your livestock, for the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Those are the promises of the Mosaic Covenant. So when you come to uh, Proverbs 10.27 and you got this long life issue, well, it was written under that covenant, okay? So that brings us to letter C. For the new covenant follower, lifestyle choices would likely remove us from the liability to various forms of death like a jealous spouse, venereal disease, criminal revenge, police, etc. If we're living the way New Testament believers ought to live, you're basically making decisions that don't bring about all of those things. So, by rights, you might believe that you're going to have a longer, uh, better life. Obviously, eternal life is also partly in view. Because how many wicked people have lived to 100 or, or maybe more? How many godly people have died young? But see, the godly person that died young, they continue to live on. The wicked person that lives long here... He experiences death for the rest of it. So, obviously, that's partly in view here. So that brings us to number four. Strong confidence and a refuge. 
uh, 14.26, Proverbs says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. So uh, once again, the form is consequence. B is what happened when you do A. So if you're uh, if the fear of the Lord, uh, you have the fear of the Lord and you have strong confidence, your children will have a place of refuge. That's the idea there. It's a consequence, okay? Uh, letter B, assurance of God's love and acceptance comes from obedience. Uh, w- when you get into the New Testament, we, we can talk about, okay, a person trusted Christ, and now look at 1 John five thirteen. Okay, I write these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Is that good enough for assurance? Well, it should be in the sense that God said it, therefore. But then what happens? Well, we start living life. And in living life, our condition makes us feel like maybe it's not so until we start learning about our position, at which point, okay, I can have confidence in what God has done and start working on the the condition. But the reality is, is it's when you're believing truth and walking according to that truth that you don't have any negative feelings about your salvation. It's only when you're not uh, that those come in. So letter C, knowing God's sovereignty only brings good to conform me to uh, to Christ and it gives peace. Um, we like to say that we believe in the sovereign uh, work of God. He, he's in complete control of all things until we get run off the road on the highway. Right? At that point, God has lost his sovereignty, and that other driver, he is the problem. Or if we do want to keep God on this throne, we blame him and we get upset with him. Wait a minute. Where's the disconnect? If God were to permit something we would consider bad to happen, what does the Word of God say? He chastises those who He loves. And He is going to produce godliness and holiness and the image of Christ in that person as they learn to walk with Him. And he uses trials, people, circumstances to do that. So when that bad thing happens, did God lose control? No, not at all. And therefore, notice as we go back here to uh, letter C, knowing God's sovereignty only brings good to conform me to Christ and gives peace. Um, in uh, James chapter 1, where it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. In the context of the passage, the good that he gives, the good and perfect gift, is the trial. I don't know about you, but when you grasp that, trials aren't that bad anymore. It doesn't mean that they're always convenient. But it does mean, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? 
What what do I, how should I respond to this situation in a way that honors and glorifies you? So strong confidence and a refuge is the idea there. Uh, letter D. Uh, a B plus C life gives uh, the example for the next generation. So assurance of God's love and acceptance from obedience uh, and knowing God's sovereignty as he brings trial, good things into our life to conform us to Christ and give us peace. That gives the example for the next generation as they watch you handle life's issues, situations in a way that's honoring to God they start seeing how to do it. And now uh, listen to 1426 again. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. So our kids learn by our example. That's both positive and negative. Okay? So uh, the number five, the fo- a fountain of life. 1427, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So number five, fountain of life. The form is consequence again. B is what happens when you do A. Jesus speaking of eternal life uses the same concept in John 4.14. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. Uh, So uh, the fear of the Lord brings a fountain of life. It also, number six, brings peace and satisfaction. Uh, Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, this is an evaluation proverbs. A is better than B. That's the form there. Letter B, walking with God using his wisdom alleviates problems with people and the powers that be. Um, very often, until the powers that be want to uh, blame someone, i.e. Nero and Christians, you know, uh, he fiddled while Rome burned, probably actually start the, started the fire, and then blamed the Christians. Until the powers that be get into that situation, they normally like uh, people that aren't a problem. Uh, that's the idea there. Okay, so that brings us to number seven. The fear of the Lord brings the discipline for wisdom. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So the form is synonymous again, B rewords A. Uh, the fear of the Lord, if you will, humility, brings God's training. Uh, Proverbs 22.4, I did not uh, put that in there. Shame on me. Let me look it up real quick for you. Proverbs 22.4, the result of humility is the fear of the Lord, along with wealth, honor, and life. So the fear of the Lord, uh, number seven there, uh, humility, brings God's training. Again, the concept of his chastisement, his discipline, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of it, how the versions may actually say that in Hebrews chapter 12. It really is not a 
spanking per se, though those may be included sometimes if you're a little thick in uh, the head and uh, unrepentant, but most of the time, God's chastisement is, is the steering of our hearts and helping us understand a better way instead of our old way of doing things. I don't know about you. Occasionally, we've, we've probably all used that, well, then God got me with a two-by-four upside the head. Uh, the reality is, is as many times as maybe the consequences were difficult to go through, God has always been gracious and merciful and compassionate with my stupidity. Again, the consequences of some of that stupidity may have been difficult, but God has always been gracious. So it brings his training, and that is a good thing. Uh, Number eight, uh, the fear of the Lord uh, brings preservation from evil. Uh, Proverbs 16.6, in uh, mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Uh, The form is consequence again. B is what happens when you do A. So B says, the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Uh, A is, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. This is one of those passages, uh, notice letter B, much difficulty interpretation, lots of questions. First of all, whose attributes is in part A there? Mercy and truth. Uh, Another one, is this talking about a work salvation? Uh, Through your mercy and truth, atonement is provided for your iniquity? Obviously, the Bible teaches that's not true either. So the best interpretation, line A, how sins are expiated. Line B, how sin is to be avoided. Okay, so how are sins dealt with from God's perspective? Through His mercy and truth, He provides atonement for sin. That's how they're expiated. Now, how are sins avoided? By the fear of the Lord, which we've already determined as humility, one departs from evil. So because we recognize who God is, who we are, we choose not to go. And when we do, we didn't get the fear of the Lord thing down right. Okay? Uh, So it brings preservation from evil. The fear of the Lord also brings life, peace of mind, and preservation. 1923, the fear of the Lord leads to life. He who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. (laughs) Okay, this is one of those ones. The form is consequence. B is what happens when you do A. It is similar to numbers 3, 4, and 8 on your notes there. On the eternal plane, it is literally true. Uh, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Not only the right decisions in this life that make life a little bit easier, but also, of course, eternal life. And uh, the one who has life or has eternal life, he learns to abide in contentment, peace, don't have to chase after all of the things, and then he will not be visited with evil. Again, it's when you're chasing after all those things that you normally make decisions that come back and bite you. And so he's not going to be experiencing that. 
All right, so that peace of mind and preservation preserves you from. Number 10, the fear of the Lord brings riches, honor, and life. And we're all saying, yes, <laughs> we want to, no, 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 come on, come on. <laughs> Proverbs 22, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. The form again is consequence. B is what happens when you do A. Line B is understood in the context, again, of the Mosaic Covenant. And the one that comes to Christ in humility will be rewarded in eternity. First, they have eternal life. Second, they have the opportunity to have abundant life. And third, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't know about you, but uh, riches and honor and life. And then last of all, the fear of the Lord brings praise. Proverbs 31, charm, uh, verse 30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The form is evaluation. B is better than A. Um, B is the woman who fears the Lord. She's going to be praised. That's better than charm and beauty. That's the whole point of the passage, okay? Uh, notice the forms, it, it forms an inclusio. I'm sitting there going, what on earth is that as I'm looking at this commentary? Well, basically, in 1-7, it starts the book with the fear of the Lord. And in Proverbs 31-30, it ends the book with the fear of the Lord. So everything that's in the middle is what's included in the fear of the Lord. This uh, Proverbs 31.30 is also similar to First uh, Peter 3.1-6, which basically says that true beauty is found in the fear of the Lord. Now, I know someone's going to get upset thinking I'm always picking on the women. I'm not picking on anybody. This is what the Word of God says. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Again, likewise indicates that the same way that we've been talking about, about these, all these other groups, you also be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Fear of what? Fear of the Lord. Um, very often when women are dealing with a husband that's not obeying the word, they're, fear, they're fearful of what's going to happen. Bills aren't going to get paid. The kids are going to wander off and not follow Jesus. Any number of things. Now, are those legitimate fears? Sure enough. Uh, I'm not saying they're not. But here, their beautiful conduct, I, I mean, their conduct is, uh, shows that they have a fear of the Lord. Okay, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Now notice, it doesn't say don't dress up the outside. It says that's not the only concentration a woman should have, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Notice 
not afraid with any terror. We're not, she's not focused on what might happen because the husband isn't obeying God's word. Her hope is in God, that God will take care of them and deal with him at the same time. So uh, true beauty is found in the fear of the Lord. All right, well, we've uh, spent four weeks dealing with the fear of the Lord. A lot of good stuff there. Don't know about you, but uh, next week, uh, I think uh, we're going to be dealing with the concept of seeking and finding. Uh, You know, in the New Testament, it says, seek and ye shall find. Well, in Proverbs, about six times in the first nine chapters, he says, son, seek wisdom. With all of your getting, get understanding. So uh, it seems to be a pretty important lesson that maybe we all can uh, benefit from. So uh, let's close in prayer and we will let you go. Father, again, we thank you. Uh, Thank you for your love for us. Uh, We recognize, Lord, that as you are the God of all creation, the King of the universe, uh, that you have placed your love upon us for no reason found within us, but because you chose to, uh, we are thankful. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to not only the truth about salvation, but uh, little by little, um, opening our eyes to the truth about sanctification, Uh, about how we might walk closer with you. We pray, Father, that you would give us that grace and wisdom uh, to do so and to do all that's necessary so that we may. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.